Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. And now we want, I mean, everybody wants to give kids self-esteem. There's no such thing as giving kids self-esteem. They have to earn it or it's not real. And he's the only one that'll tell somebody like it is. And he's the only one that won't say good job if it's not a good job. You know, I want to give a kid a real compliment. I want him to really know that he earned it. And that's when they'll really feel good about themselves. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. If you want a free ebook, The Best Mental Toughness Quotes That Will Make You Better, just text Dr. Rob Bell, that's D R R O B B E L L, to this number, 33444. You'll get a download right away. So our guest today on 15 Minutes Mental Toughness, he's been featured on HBO Real Sports, Sports Illustrated. He was USA Today National Coach of the Year. He's had a top 10 offense, 14 out of the last 15 years in the nation. He's won nine state championships and a record of 216-29-1 as head coach of Pulaski Academy in Little Rock, Arkansas. He's punted eight times in the last 15 years onside kick every time unless up by 21 points and they've averaged half of thousands. So they've averaged 529 yards a game. Uh, our guest has been keynote speaker at uh, Ticketmaster, Adidas, Halliburton. He's been a guest at uh, MIT Sloan sports analytics conference. Our guest is none other than coach Kevin Kelly coach. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Well, I've been looking forward to it. Excited to be here. Well, I appreciate it. Coach, we always talk about hinge moments and mental toughness on this podcast. Let's start with the hinge moment. You, you mentioned how you, you've had an, you had an alcoholic father, and there was a moment that happened when you were young that, that helped shape your future. Um, walk us through that experience. You know, and, and living with alcoholism, you know, you see that people don't choose it. You know, it kind of chooses you, and you put yourself in a situation, you got to get yourself out. But, but, but at that time, I mean, I'm 51 years old, so – you know, I remember being eight years old and living with it and not thinking stuff about anything because that's still your dad and you don't really know what's going on. But we had, we had a moment where, you know, he he comes home and he had he had had a, he had driven his truck off the road through a barbed wire fence, and he drove home anyway. Got back on the road. We lived in a rural area, and he drove back home, and and he literally had half the fence drug behind his truck. He comes in. He's got blood on his chest because he had hit the steering wheel with his head and your blood's thinner and your face is real, you know, it's real vascular anyway. So he's bleeding a lot. It's down. It terrified me. I thought he was, I thought he'd caved his chest in. He was going to die. And I was trying to console him and it was, you know, more of that. And, 
and I'm not going to go into the depth and details of what happened, but at that moment, you know, I walked over to my mom and I said, we can't stay together. You know, we can't stay together as a family anymore. And, you know, you're eight years old. And I also looked and I thought, I am never, ever going to do, put myself in a situation like that where, where I'm not in control of, of what I do. And I knew that that moment it was because he drank because I'd heard my mom talking, my, my uncle and, and stuff like that. So I just decided that I wasn't going to do that. And to this day, I've never drank a drop of alcohol because I'm like, and I'm not against it. If my wife wants to have a glass of wine with dinner or something like that. But, you know, that was a moment where I decided I'm going to be better and not allow something to overtake me. That's going to affect other people and that kind of stuff. And, and I can't tell you how many times in my life, I go back to that decision and that situation and see it and just can, I mean, I will, that is imprinted on my brain, that whole, a whole video of that. And, uh, and it's affected, I mean, so many decisions where I think I can't make it through this or I can't do this or I can't do that or, or just the way I think and have developed maybe even my, 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 my thought process, my philosophy on life. But it was a pretty crucial moment at eight years old. I mean, one of the things that I believe is that mental toughness, it's, it's caught more than it's, more than it's taught. You know, we have these experiences that happen. Um, you mentioned then, I mean, because again, I mean, eight years old, man, it's tough to even process. How, um, how does it affect, um, how does it affect, you know, when, when you face like really difficult decisions or things that are going on in life that are difficult, how do, how do you draw on that strength then, you know, from something as, as young as when you were eight? You know, the, you, you know, as you go through and uh, really in the education process and, 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 being a coach and a teacher, you study how to affect kids. I, I, then I started reading a lot of psychology books and stuff like that. But when you go back and you look, we're faced with the fight or flight a lot. And people think it's always a physical fight or flight when you read that. It's not. It's a fight or flight from a problem, from a decision, from whatever. A lot of, you, when you don't make a decision, you're making a decision a lot of times. But, but what, what it does is, is, is and somewhere along the way, it made me look and, and think how – we make decisions based off the moment, based off the emotion of things. And instead of looking and, and asking yourself, well, I'll be glad I made that decision a month from now. And if you can somehow take yourself out of that moment and go, you know, because, and, and, I, and the example I'll use is this, years before, you know, my mom would say, with me and my sister, we've, we've got to get out of this situation. You know, I think I'm going to divorce your dad. And we're like, please, no, no kid wants that to we're like, please, no, please, no. And I was too young to even think about it then. But if I could, and now in all my decisions, I do this. If I could have gone, okay, two years from now, well, I'll be glad mom did this. Well, that takes the emotion out because two years later, you'll be okay emotionally. And look at what we wouldn't have had to go through. The answer would have been, yes, let's, let's split this up. But we can't because we're in that moment. And please, we don't want the family to split up. Please, you're not thinking about you're not thinking logically and intellectually about what this can do for you and what you're going to get rid of and the moments that you're the bad moments that are going to be out of your life. And so I do that now in effect where, you know, if, if, if somebody like, for instance, said, Hey, you know, we're going to offer you a job making twice as much money, but at some place and, and you don't think about it. You're like, I'll take it twice as much money. Then you look and you're like, I really don't want to live there my wife really loves it where she's at and doesn't want to move there either. So that part of the marriage is not going to be as good. My daughter's got a year left in school. Some people just go, God, it's twice as much money. I got to make that decision. Well, what if you look and you go two months from now, six months from now, 
if you could go back before you ever make the decision and go, how, what would I do? How's this going to look in six months? The answer might be, you know what? Twice as much money sounds good, but not if my wife's miserable, not if my daughter's miserable, not if, you know, all those things happen. So it's really taught me to try not to make a decision based on how I feel. It's taught me to go and go, okay, two weeks from now, will I be glad I did if it's a small decision? A year from now, could you look and go ask yourself, would you be glad that made a decision? That's helped me really get out of the world. You know, when you're growing up and in high school and you're peer pressured to do alcohol or, or drugs or whatever, it was easy for me because I would look and go, two weeks from now, am I going to be glad I got drunk with this group of high school kids? The answer is, I'm not going to care that I got drunk at all, but I'll be glad if I don't. And so it makes those decisions easier. And that's what it did for me. Some people think, well, is it you saw all the bad stuff? That's not the answer, because in my research, 75% of kids whose parents are alcoholics become an alcoholic. And so they're not seeing all the bad and going, I'm not going to do that. And people say, well, that's why you're like you are. That's not it. It taught me to take a moment and go, hey, don't think about the now. Think, just ask yourself the question, two weeks from now, how will I feel about that moment? And if the answer is, I'll be glad I did something or glad I didn't do it, then use that as your guide instead of how you feel, because we're so emotional and it's been proven in so many studies. We make poor decisions based on emotion. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. Our new book, Puke and Rally. It's not about the setback. It's about the comeback. It can be bought anywhere books are sold or go to the website pukeandrallybook.com. Yeah, I appreciate that, Coach. I, uh... When I got to college, I fell off an 80 foot cliff because I was uh, drunk and like the party. And, uh, you know, it took that moment. I mean, it's been seven years sober now, though. But um, yeah, because that sickness as well runs in my family. Yeah, I, I just finished a book by uh, Amy Duke, professional poker player. And she talks about that thinking in bets and the same exact thing. It's like uh, six months from now, two years from now with this decision, how, how will that impact me? Because we, we can't see we can only see the curve in the road, right? We can't see how, right. how those dots are going to go. Do you think kids today, I mean, how do they, you know, cause we hear a lot about, Hey, their brains are developing. And do you think they're able to process that way? Or is that just the process that they just haven't been introduced to, Hey, here's how to make decisions. They can process that way that we, we, you know, I hate to say it. We're in a society where people make excuses for failures. And whether it's a societal thing or whether it's a family thing or a community thing or whatever, you know, I just see it on so many levels. And, and we, we're not teaching them to do that. Right now, we're wanting them to all feel good. Well, we, keep, we teach self-esteem and feeling like you're part of something. Well, their definition of feeling a part of something is different than what probably is intended. But if you've got a group of kids and, and they go out and, and you've taught them, hey, you need to feel like you're a part of something and feel good about yourself. And they're the only one in the group that's not smoking pot that day. And somebody is saying, Hey, you do it. Well, if they want to feel a part of the group and we've said, you need to feel good about yourself. And they're saying, Hey, this will make you feel good. We'll accept you. We'll take you. We're teaching them wrong. We're not teaching them the right way to make those decisions. Matter of fact, we've taught them the wrong way to make that decision. A lot of times I deal with kids every day and I try at least once a week. And, you know, I probably, Every day I start, for five minutes, I talk to my kids about things in life. And when I get done with practice, because we practice year round. And one of those a week is about that decision. I'm like, hey, when you got to make a decision this week, whether it's with your parents or your girlfriend or whether it's a real life decision or whether you're going to start down some road, 
don't do it how you feel now. Go two weeks from now. Well, I'll be glad I did this. And if the answer is yes, do it. If it's not, don't. And I do. I think they can do it. I think we're just teaching them all wrong because I can't tell you how many kids have come back and said that's been a really good thing for them and helped them not make some decisions they really would have for sure. I love that, Coach. Um, you know, coaches are absolutely my favorite people in life. Outside of winning, when um, what's the best feeling you have as a coach when someone comes back and, and visits you? That's a great question. And it is, you know, I'm really known as as – a little bit military style coach in our discipline and the way I run our team. I think that kids need that. You know, the funny thing is our kids appreciate it. Kids just want boundaries. You know, everybody lets them have all these wide boundaries. Now, whenever I was growing up, this is what you they'll They want the boundaries and they'll stay within them. You just got to tell them what they are. And I say all that to say, you know, sometimes the kid leaves, they go, God, that was hard program to get through. Well, it's supposed to be hard. Football is hard. Life's hard. I want life lessons taught. My favorite moment to answer your question is when they come back and sometimes it's a kid that I knew, you know, really went through football because he wanted to be a part of the group, which is part of it, but he just didn't like some of the ways I did things. And he comes back and goes, now I get it. Now I get it. This has helped me in my current job, in my career. And that's my favorite time because I'm like, good. Then you had to know there was, an, there was a good intention for everything. You know, I didn't do anything just to be mean or just to make it hard or whatever. But that's my favorite moment when they come back and they go, I get, they literally just say the words, I get it. I love it when they do that. I absolutely love it when they do that. Yeah, that's awesome, coach. Um, one of my favorite times of working with a baseball team is, um, and I don't know why I'm just sharing this, but it was, a, it was a younger kid and his dad wasn't around and I remember talking to his younger sister and he's, he's a senior and he was a good kid, but you just never know like everything that's going on. I remember asking his younger sister, I remember saying, you know, was, uh, what's he like as a brother? And she kind of teared up and I even get emotional to think about it. And she said, he's, he's a great brother. And I remember, you know, I, I always remember that stuff because it's about like the impact that, that he had on his sister and I always make it a point to always kind of reach out to him, you know, every year because, man, I mean, isn't that what it's about? I mean, about being productive people and, and helping other people along the way. Yeah, and, and, and I could go over a million situations on the emotional parts where you realized that whatever you're involved in has really helped somebody get through it. And, and I learned this lesson a long time ago. And, 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 you know, I worry about kids when they quit. But if a kid quits – and you're not wanting to be a part of this group of guys, there's obviously a defect somewhere in there, either what we're doing, the way they've been taught, whatever, whatever. I like to get down to the bottom of it. And somebody taught me a long time ago, even the least who, who if you picked out, if you lined up a team and nobody would do this, especially in this society. And I said, okay, everybody pick out who's the least important kid on this team. You know, there's going to be a majority that pick a certain kid. And the problem is that no matter who that child is, there's somebody on that team, one person that is counting on that kid to be there every day. And it might be, I don't know if you ever watched the movie Annapolis and it was, it wasn't a great movie, but it was, it was good because there was a guy from Arkansas and a guy from Mississippi there and, or something to that effect. And, and they were going through and both of them were having trouble every day getting through the physical part of the initiation process. And one guy looked at the other guy and he's like, 
you know, in, in for years and years in education, Arkansas and Mississippi were 49th and 50th ranked. Mm-hmm. And he looked at the kid and he's like, you are almost as bad as me. How are you in such a good mood and have a great attitude every day? And he looked at him and goes, I'm Arkansas. You're my Mississippi. I'm glad you're here because I, I'm better than one person. Well, that made me think on the cultural and emotional side of a football team. And I went in, I talked to our kids and, and whoever thinks they're the least, there's somebody on the team that's glad you're not for the reason I just mentioned that movie Annapolis, but because they look over and go, you know what, if he can do it, and maybe it's a physically he's not talented or he's small, if he can do it, I can do it. Or I know that kid over there is having a harder time at home than I'm having. I can make it through this. Everybody on that team has somebody watching them and looking at them and glad they're there for some reason. And if you could teach them that, then all of a sudden they have value. And the whole key to everything in life, I've gone and speak, spoken at companies like you mentioned. And, you know, the biggest problem that I've turned into some points, it turns into consulting between the white collar workers and the blue collar workers. And they're saying, well, you know, we just can't get them to do this or we can't get them to think this. The, the answer becomes, do they think they're important to you? Do they think you think they're important? If they do, they'll go through the ends of the earth for you. They'll work and do this. And that's what we find is the main source of people's problems. Forget self-esteem and this and that. It's, they don't feel important. So like you mentioned on the, on, on, on the kid that it, 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 in the emotion involved and stuff like that, some of the best moments I've had with the kid are when, and I could name off some crazy ones, and where, you know, I'd say at the end, hey, I'm confidential. If any of you guys ever want to talk, I'll come in here. I won't say a word, you know, unless I'm mandated by law. If you tell me I'm on heroin, I've got to tell her. But, but uh, unless, uh, you know, kids would come in and talk to you and it might be their parents or this or this or this has happened in their life. And all of a sudden you just made them feel important because you spent 10 minutes with them. And they're like, thank you so much. I've needed somebody to talk to. And I just didn't think anybody wanted to listen and spend their time doing that because, Everybody talks about how they don't have any time for anything and you made them feel important. And those kids would do anything for you. And then they tear up and go, thank you for your time. And I'm just like, it was just 10 minutes, but it's weird how, if you make somebody feel important, you make their life better. And I think those moments too, are some of the better moments that I have in coaching. And they're just ones you'll never, ever be able to buy, duplicate that feeling you get. And you don't do it for that feeling. You do it to help. But in the end, if you do and you make them feel important, life's a better place. The world's a better place. You know, Coach uh, Belichick has called you uh, the best high school coach in the country. Um, that's one of the benefits about being the high school coach there, isn't it? Because, I mean, you, there's no way you could replicate that part at the, at the pro level. The relationship. You know, that's a good question. It would be more difficult because these are grown men. But I think it's because they don't try as hard. And, and of the NFL people I've talked to, and I've talked to quite a few of them over the years, you know, and I've asked them about that. You know, if, if, if I was able to somehow get a job and work my way into coaching up there or whatever, do you do that? And they go, you know, we don't really try that. These are grown men. They've got their own avenues, their own ways to deal with that. I think you could with some of them, you know, because we know this as adults, we've all got problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, with my own coaches, we'll come in here and I'll be like, well, my wife last night, da, da, da. sometimes we just need to get that out. And so it doesn't turn into something bigger. Everybody needs a, you know, to, to vent a little bit or whatever. And I think at that level, they don't necessarily try to do that. Maybe you can't, I don't know. I'm not going to say you can, cause I'm not at that level, but I know in college you can, because I've got some college buddies that say you can, I think you probably could in the NFL if you made yourself open, say, hey, like, look, 
This is a business. We've got to do great as a team. You guys are players. You may be cut tomorrow. I, you know, whatever, whatever. But if you ever need, I, I want you to be, I want you to feel good as a person. That's going to help you be a better player too. If you ever need me for anything, you ever just need to sit there and listen to me or let me listen to you, whatever. I think you'd be surprised at how many grown men would do that because I know I offer that up to our, my coaching staff. They take advantage of it way more than you ever think they would. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Coach. I think that's absolutely right because whatever we set our intention to doing is we set our attention to it. Very well. That's a good statement. With uh, oh, I got plenty of those, Coach. <laughs> <laughs> with, um, with that said, when it comes to mental toughness, grit, resiliency, you know, how we handle adversity and the setbacks in life, which is a matter of when, just not if, how is that something you approach in, in your program and, and your values and philosophy? You know, it really, it's on the forefront of what we, one of the, you know, we talk about life lessons. We say that word all the time. It's probably a little overused now, uh, but, but, but life lessons that you can learn in football, you can't learn anywhere else in, in, in the school. And cause you know, football has the physical part of the game and you're getting beat up while you still got to have the mental part of the game the training for it's intense. You start in the summer and it's a thousand degrees outside in Arkansas and on turf. And then you finish up and, you know, we finished up mid December and it's 28 degrees and cold and somebody's hitting you. And so there's all the physical part of it in the mental part, but, but we want them to learn those life lessons. So I'll put them in situations partly to, to help them in football, partly to, uh, uh, to teach them those life lessons. But the one thing I keep telling them is this, because it is, you know, I start every year I have a new theme sort of for myself or sort of for the team or whatever, and sometimes two different ones. But a, a few years ago, uh, I, I was, I, my theme was, it, it, as a society, we look for reasons to quit things. We rarely look for reasons to continue. And that's sort of like your puke and rally and mental toughness thing. You know, sometimes you're like, I, 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 my wife does this, 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 I'm getting divorced. Or my friend is this, this, and this. I just don't feel the same way. I'm not going to have that relationship. Or I don't like my job. I don't like my boss. I don't like this. They look for reasons to quit their marriage, to quit relationships, to quit their jobs, to quit college, to quit playing sports. Nobody ever looks and finds a reason to keep going. So there's two ways that I approach that with our kids. And one of those is, is, is analogies. And, and for instance, I go, you know, rarely, you know, people always, kids always could go, I, I don't love football anymore, so I'm not going to play it because I, I need to be doing something I love. How much of your life and the things that you choose to do, do you really love every single part of it? And, and, and I say all this, and I'll preface this by saying, I would, I love my life. I wouldn't trade lives with Bill Gates or Bill Belichick or anybody on the planet. I love my life. I couldn't, I mean, now, is it awful at times? Yeah, it's awful. Everybody's life's awful at times. But I say all that to say this. I love my wife dearly. Can't see myself with anybody else. Don't want to even think about that. Do I love every part of my marriage? No. She sucks at cooking. She's only got a couple of things that she's good at. Sometimes she wants me to go out and walk the dogs and it's 10 degrees outside and I don't want to get up and do it at that time. So those parts of marriage, I don't like at all. When you come to think of it, there's a lot of marriage I don't like, but you, I got to find a reason to keep going in the marriage instead of finding reasons to quit. Cause there's a lot of reasons to quit things. So I tell our kids, you know, to keep going, you only have to find a part of something to focus on 
that you're willing to do to get you through all the other parts you don't like to keep you going. And for instance, in football, if you just like the locker room and being in there with the guys, then you can make it through the run and the sprints and the heat of the summer and the lifting of the weights and getting knocked around a little bit if you like that part enough. If you just like when you get to run out through the crowd on Friday nights, then use that part. That's the part. If you just like it when your mom and dad say, son, I'm so proud to watch you. Football is hard and I love that you're doing it. Then that's your part. I love that my wife is my best friend. And when nobody else likes me and everybody's mad at me because I made a bad decision or made a bad call or, or whatever, she don't care. She's just happy I'm coming home to her. I love my part of that marriage enough to do all that other stuff. So I'm looking for a reason to keep going. Well, the other thing I do is this. When a kid out there, that, so that's one part of, uh, of the answer. And the second part of the answer is this. It goes back to my take yourself out of the moment. We'll be out there and we'll, you know, it'll be July. And I promise you, it'll be 135 degrees on our field, three feet above the, above the turf. And it's hotter than hell. And nobody wants to be out there. The coaches don't want to be. I mean, it's hot. We know we've got to be out there. And kids are thinking about quitting. There's no way you can convince me that we're out there giving it our all, flipping tires, running sprints, jumping in, jumping out, that a kid's not thinking, freak, there's a lot of things I could be doing easier than this. You know, maybe this isn't worth it. It's human nature. But I say, look, guys, and I'll stop them. If I see it getting to that point, I'll stop them. Like, guys, some of you are thinking about quitting right now. That's okay because you, you'll think about quitting everything in your life. You just got to think about it for a second and push it out the other side. But the other thing is this. Are you going to be glad you quit tomorrow when you don't even feel like this? Because an hour after you finish today, you won't even feel like, you won't even remember how you felt. You won't think about, it feels this hard, it feels this bad. Take yourself out of that moment. Ask yourself tomorrow, will I be glad I quit? No. Will I be glad I quit anything? The answer is, if you go a year from now, no. And now I've been using that with just friends I have that might have problems in their marriage or might have this or that. I'll be like, look, I know you're about to make a big decision. Ask yourself five years from now, do I think this is the thing that I would do best? You know, because I know so many of them that go, God, I wish I'd never done this if I could just go back. And so I try to get the kids even on mental toughness to go to reason it out and go like it sucks right now. Mental toughness. Some kids can just grit and bear it. Some kids need a way out. Ask yourself, will I even feel this heat, this tired, this fatigue two hours from now? Nope. You'll be sitting by, you know, you'll be in the swimming pool, drinking Gatorade, ready to come back tomorrow. So take yourself out of that moment at that mental toughness moment and go, well, you know, again, will I be glad I made it through this moment? You darn betcha I'll be glad. And you'll probably, because what man that goes through something hard doesn't come out the other side and just has a little bit of pride about it, just has a little bit of, God, I'm glad I did that. We all do. You know, I don't want to go out there and work out in a minute. I mean, it's much easier sitting here and talk to you. I'm going to go get my workout in. I'm going to put myself through it and it's going to suck. But the minute I'm done, I'm so glad I did it. But if you ask me in the middle of it, I might not be glad, depending on how I felt that day. But I've got to get through that moment and go, God, if I could wait another 20 minutes, I'm going to be glad I did it. And, 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 I, and I think that's how we, I teach kids to get through the mental toughness aspect. Yeah, that's awesome, Coach. You know, when it gets really, really tough, uh, one of the things, depending on who I'm working with, I always just share with them and say, look, every workout ends. Every workout ends. All we got to do, man, is just focus on the next five minutes and, and you'll make yeah. it. Yeah. But that, that's a good point because we're the ones that have to look at 
you know, ourselves in the mirror, even if anybody who, you know, at the next day, anybody who's dropped out of a race, whether it be Ironman or, you know, hundred mile race, the next day is a whole lot more painful because they look back and they say, did I really, did I really have to quit in that moment? As painful as it was, and even though everything was bleeding, I was shutting down, did I really have to quit in that moment? And that's that pain of regret, I think, that we deal with instead of that pain yeah. of pain. I was going to say, that's a great saying. Yeah, you know, I posted that on, I try to post something, in, you know, inspirational every day on Twitter, Instagram. And there's the pain of discipline, like you just said, or the pain of regret. And I think you and I have probably both had both. If you're a man, you've had both. Man, that pain of regret's way worse way worse than the pain of the discipline that moment for sure. Yeah. Coach, I guess, um, big picture then in like society, like where do you see, um, and I, cause I, again, I think we're all in it together. I think at administration with coaches, with parents, and then with, uh, you know, with athletes and, and youth, anybody who says youth is different today, you know, I, I just don't think they're in touch. Um, so I think we're all in this together, but where do you see big picture society when it comes to mental toughness and everything that gets involved with where, where are we doing it wrong? Well, number one, where do I see us? I, 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 I think most people agree we're way worse off than we've ever been as far as the mental toughness of society. And, you know, maybe in some ways I see the intent was good that got us here but it didn't work out like we wanted it to, you know, and uh, you'll you, you think, think about thing. I, I don't know. I don't know how old you are, but being 51 years old and being raised by my mom and, you know, we didn't quit things in our family and I get it, you know, it, 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 they're trying to teach you, if you start something, you finish it. And, and there's a lot of good to that, but nowadays, you know, it's not that way. It's well, if you start doing this and you don't feel good about it, or if you don't love it or whatever, what are we teaching kids to do? We're teaching them to quit things that somehow make sense. You know, I get where, well, okay, football's a lot of time and commitment. If you don't really want to do it and you're not having any fun, you're not getting any enjoyment, you know, it's too much time for that. But if you don't make them finish that season, you quit something small like a sport. Well, now they're quitting something like a chess club. Next thing, this project's too big. I'm going to do a half butt job on it and I'm going to quit when I'm ready to quit on it, just turn it in. Well, then all of a sudden you can quit your, your marriage a little easier. You can quit your job a little easier and you might end up in a worse off situation. You can quit friend relationships because somebody told you something you needed to hear, but you didn't want to hear to make you a better person. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's an aspect and, I, and, and, and that's the part tied into it. But there's also the part about, I, I think America was built on, we had to go out and fight for our country and earn it and this and that and the other, and not much was given. And now we want, I mean, everybody wants to give kids self-esteem. There's no such thing as giving kids self-esteem. They have to earn it or it's not real. And, you know, that's one of the things around here. I, I think it's funny. I've, uh, since I've been at this school, I, we've probably had, I mean, literally hundreds of teachers get fired over the years for bad performance or they just mean people to the kids or you wouldn't think so. I'm viewed as sometimes probably the most disciplinarian guy on campus, you know, the hardest on kids. And I'm the one that's still here. And I think they appreciate, well, I, I do get it. He's the only one that'll tell somebody like it is. And he's the only one that won't say good job if it's not a good job. You know, I want to give a kid a real compliment 
I want him to really know that he earned it. And that's when they'll really feel good about themselves. You know, we've got, I always train my coaches that way too. You know, guy drops a ball in in, in a crucial part of the game. You know, I don't want to go tear him down, but I don't want him saying, hey, good route. You know, you got to catch that ball. Well, it don't matter. It was a bad job at that point. Don't build, you know, don't, there's no part of that that was good. Don't give them a false sense of goodness because then they're always looking for it instead of going out always earning it. There's a difference between always looking for something and always looking to earn that, you know, and otherwise I'm not going to work and I'm just going to go ask somebody to give me some money to pay my bills with instead of looking for a ways to earn my money to pay my bills with. And I think that's where we are in so many things is, is, and I get it. It's tough. And I had a, you know, my son's 24 and I hired him on my staff this year. He graduated college, played college football. And I said last night, I said, Zach, there's so many times when I saw you struggling growing up in life, socially, in football, in sports, in college, when I didn't have anything to do with you. And, and I wanted to jump in there and just grab somebody and shake them. Not you, because I thought you were mistreated. But I thought I've got to let him learn to fight his way through these summer smaller battles. And that's what parents are doing now, but they're not able to stand back and let their kid make their way and then build them up on the back end. Hey, look, I'm still here for you. Instead, they want to go fight the battles for them. And that's created a society where people want things their way and they want somebody to fix it for them or they want things their way or they get really pissed off. I mean, look at right now the division amongst both sides of political parties, look at the division amongst how we treat COVID and all this. I think that comes from a society of people that were, that people that were taught, you need immediate happiness. You need immediate success without earning it. You've got a voice. Hell, you don't have a voice unless you go get a freaking job and where you've got a voice in that moment, in that situation. I don't need to be commenting on, on, uh, and expect that I'm right on how you know google runs their business but everybody thinks they can go and say how they think they should run their business amongst a million other things in life well if you want that job then go out and find a freaking way to get that job then you can have a say so in it it's like you don't get to tell me how to coach if you want a job coaching go get your freaking job coaching everybody all of a sudden thinks they have a voice and they get really mad and then with social media and making you feel like you have a voice i don't say it's not fine to voice your opinion but Sure as heck, don't get mad if somebody's opposite of you because they get a right just as much as you do. I find it hard to believe that the people think that we should be locking down for COVID get pissed off at the people that think we shouldn't, and the people that think we shouldn't get pissed off at the people that want to lock down. Let them have their opinion. And then if you want to make that decision, go be a freaking senator or something, you know, and know your role. You got two choices. You know, I tell my boss this, my superintendent of my school this all the time. This is what's going to happen. This is how I'm here. If you tell me tomorrow, we're not having football anymore. I don't think it's best for the school. I've got three things I could do. One, and two of them I actually get to do. One, I can try to talk you into it and tell you all the benefits. But once you make that decision, i got two choices. I can go gripe about it and keep working here and be talking behind your back, and that does nobody any good. Or I can make a decision and go, you know what? I'm either going to stay and live with it, and not gripe because that ain't doing anybody good or I'm going to go find me a different job. I'm not going to do the first. I'm never going to go say, I don't like this. And yeah, 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 yeah. I'm either going to do it and keep my mouth shut or go find me a place that I think I'll like better. And we'll see how that goes. 
But too many people don't do anything about anything and they just gripe about it. And that's why we're where we are, in my opinion. Keep your mouth shut and try to do things, actually physical things to change it instead of yeah, yeah about it and making everybody hate each other. I know we went way down. You got to shut me up because I'll just ramble on forever. I'm sorry, Rob. No, I love it, Coach. That's why that's why the podcast is such a good format. You know, we don't have, hey, quick 15 minutes in, in one liners. I mean, this is what's this yeah. is what's special about it. But that it factor that you've seen, you know, come through your program and you see it all the time. I mean, those that have that it factor, um, you know, and this mental toughness, the grit, resiliency, like what do you think that is that they possess that others don't? Man, I, that, that's a good, well, that's a tough question, which also makes it a great question. Uh it, 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 you know, it, it, the it factor usually is a different mentality, just like you say. Is it a mental toughness? I mean, obviously, some of that is. It's a different mentality, and I guess you'd cl- you'll classify it as mental toughness because it's the kids that no matter what happens, continue to work towards their goal. And I don't know if they're just emotionally more prepared by their parents at a younger age, if they've had the moment like you and I talked about that was that hinge moment that changed everything – or if they're just the kind of kid that places so much significance on what they want to accomplish that they're willing to do whatever the heck comes along the way to get there. And, you know, I get to witness all kinds of kids. And I've got a kid, I've got one kid in mind. If you go, who's the toughest kid you've ever had? And his name's Lane Hatcher. He's a quarterback at Arkansas State right now. That's a kid, it, it, it's, it's different the way he is. He comes from a wealthy family. And a lot of times if you're from a wealthy family, people think, Oh, you know, I'll even get college because well, we're not going to offer a kid because he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Eventually, he won't want to work hard. And so that's what, you know, people sometimes think about these wealthy kids. Well, this kid is a wealthy kid. He is literally the hardest working human being I have ever seen at any level of anything. And I know I, one of my best friends is a surgeon. That guy's a freaking workaholic. I mean, he works. He likes to operate. He does and I've got some friends in the coaching business that just put in lots of time. This kid's the hardest working kid I've ever seen. He's going to be rich his whole life. He's going to inherit his dad's business. He already knows how to run it. He's going to be great. He works hard all the time, every day. It's freakishly crazy. And, and he's, you know, what would you say? You would say he's mentally tough. He really just has a goal that he wants to accomplish. And he's willing, he's decided Physically, he's taken a step back and gone, everybody else that's ever accomplished something physically hard in life has been fine. You know, I'm not, so if I have to go out and run myself to death, as long as I don't die, I'm going to be fine. So I'm smart enough to know what to look for, you know, to not have a heat stroke. And he's just decided that what he wants to do is so important. I'm willing to physically do whatever I've got to do to get there. So he studies and researches and puts himself through that physical trauma. And he's accepted that as part of what you have to do to be successful. So the kids that that have the it factor are the ones that place a super high significance and have decided before they get in the moment of hardness, toughness, they've decided before that, here's the decision I'm going to make when that comes. I'm just going to keep going. And when you make those decisions beforehand, maybe that's what the it factor is, you know. And now physically, you go, some kids have the it factor. They just seem to come up with the ball or whatever. But talking about the it factor to me are the ones that are successful no matter what happens. And I'm talking this kid, if he has something bad in his life happen, instead of taking days off, he uses that as immediate fuel and goes and hits the workout room. If 
something happens. He broke up with his girlfriend for a year and a half. And he thought he might end up getting married to her and he's desolate and depressed. He uses that as full fuel and goes and works out. They just find a way to use everything in their life as motivation instead of everything in their life as I'm going to take some days off because my life sucks. And I need some mental rehab time. It's awesome coach. And we haven't even spoke about football yet, man. This is great. <laughs> coach. One of, one of the things that I believe is uh, we talk about overcoming. Well, sorry, let me, let me preface this. We hear about overcoming, you know, the rejection, the setback in life, being told that you're not good enough about overcoming that. What I believe is that that's actually a prerequisite for being great because, and I know, you know, with your philosophy, when it comes to football, I know you've never been told that's a bad idea, but other, (laughs) I'm glad I got that coach, but otherwise, but do you think that is a prerequisite? I mean, because it's, it's not, it's a Fisher cut bait moment. Like you're either going to listen to that person that says you're not good enough. That's a bad idea. Don't do it. Or you're going to believe in yourself and say, no, that, that is my vision and, and whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. We can't be on the fence during those moments, but what do you think about that? Do we, in order to be successful, do we need to be told that that's a bad idea? Or we're not good enough. I don't think you have to be told. I certainly think for the ones that end up successful, it's good that they got that because they use it as motivation sometimes. But what it, what it really, I, I think if there is, if there is a, a, a parallel between people that have been told that and success, it's simply because at that moment, you know, I was told this way is not going to work. Media gave me a tough time. Coaches told me I was making a mockery of the game. I'd go to a coach's clinic and nobody would sit with me. I would be the guy that looked like he had leprosy in the lunchroom and nobody would sit with me. And, you know, 15 years ago, and now it's just the opposite. But but what I'm saying is it, the only reason that it seems like there's a parallel is because that really tests your commitment to it. Somebody tells you you can't do something, a lot of people do quit. Well, how committed were they really to being successful? So I think that's why I think there is a parallel there. But I think that's because the ones that were successful, if you look at them, they would, a lot of them would say, yeah, I had that moment and you told you weren't good enough or you couldn't do it. Well, if they kept going and they were successful and you asked them, they had that moment because they were crazy committed to it. But if you ask by the same token, I think there's 50% of the people or more that quit something. It's like, hey, were you ever trying to do something great in this area? And they said, yes. Well, why didn't you? Well, they told me I couldn't do it. And I thought, you know what? I think they're right. There's a lot of hard roads here. And they didn't. It just shows your commitment level. So maybe what it is, is asking that question is simply an implication on their commitment level to keep going. If they're committed after somebody's just on them saying you can't present all the reasons why, if they say screw you and do it anyway, I just showed I'm in, I'm all freaking in, I'm going to do this. And then some of them do use it as motivation to get through harder times later, I think. Excellent, coach. Tough part about being a host is for me to try and process information and, and have the dialogue as well. But that's, uh, that's really good. With, um, when it comes to the process and then the product, product being holding up that state trophy, holding up that state championship, is the process, is that more important than the product? I tie them in. And, and what I mean is, what I mean is my, I almost said my favorite thing to do, but people would have thought this wasn't, wasn't, wasn't as good, but you've got so many favorite things. My favorite moment in a season, and we've been really, really blessed to win nine of 18. So I've gotten to see what that's, that moment a lot is I put them through a lot. I mean, you know, it's January and, you know, after school today, 
My guys will work for two hours, a year round. We'll work for two hours, except for the guys playing other sports. I like when they play other sports. But the ones that aren't, you've got to be here. And we'll work for two hours. And sometimes the kids will say, God, that's just a lot of work. Well, if you want to be successful, you know, put in the time. But at the end of the year, when we win, after, after the ball game, I always look around and start asking, especially seniors, was it worth it? Because I want them to remember that it was. And they'll say yes right then. But my favorite moment is looking at their faces when it's all over with. And if we win, seeing the, the happiness and the emotion involved, if we lose, they're crying. They ain't crying because we're losing. They're crying because it's over. Because this team was, is over with this year. They'll never have this team back. They may be juniors moving up to seniors, but they lost some of their guys. And so, so uh, you know, the process is awesome. It's filled with so much emotion up and down days in the summer when somebody accomplishes something and you're like, freak, that's awesome. Or days in the summer when you walk in and you're sweating and you're tired and he's hot and, and this kid got hurt and this kid doesn't know if he wants to play anymore. And you're like, God, it sucks. But that process, even there, you can appreciate it. And the process itself and all the things that happen, you know, when a kid will walk in and God, my parents are getting divorced. I don't know what to do. And, you know, all I consider all that the process. That part's awesome. But the minute it's over with and that team realizes that it's never going to be a team again, not just those guys, not those guys. We'll always have a Pulaski Academy Bruins, but not those 63 guys. That part's pretty awesome, too, because of that moment when they really appreciate what they had. Because anytime time, you know, don't know what you got until it's gone, at that moment – they realized while they were there. And I say, okay, now you realize how much you're going to miss this. Make sure you tell your team how much you cared about them and how much you appreciated and loved being a part of this group because of them, not because of the game of football. Sure, there's that too. But because of them, and everybody leaves with a good taste in their mouth. If it's a senior leaving the program or if it's a kid coming back in next year, I think it make them, makes them feel a certain way. So, I'm riding the fence on this one, and I hate riding the fence. If you said both your kids are up hanging on the side of a cliff and you can only save one, you know, I'm a guy that will answer the question, and I'll give you a reason. But on this one, I'm going to ride the fence and say the process and the end, win or lose, I appreciate and love them both so much. Yeah, I appreciate that, Coach. When, um, when I pose that question to the NFL strength coaches, um, the only part that I get back to is like when you reflect on your career, when you reflect on it, and even if it is the product, if the product is better, um, what do you think about when it comes to that product? And most of the time they'll say, well, it's, it's not just me in the tub with, with the trophy or the ring. I think about the hardships that we overcame. I think about the relationships. And that's why I always kind of phrase that in terms of, well, that's part of that process too. Yeah. You know, strength coaches are unique and they're kind of lucky in this world. And what I mean by that, even at the NFL level, even at the college level, they give them little goals. You know, we want you to increase your pound, you know, your, 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 your strength 10% in the next two months or whatever. And they give them definitive goals that they can hit. And when they hit them, they know they've actually worked for it and had to get there. They both get to celebrate those small victories. The strength coach helped them get there and the guy worked to get it and they get to celebrate together. Street coaches get, you know, they don't get all the glory, but boy, they get those moments nobody knows about that regular coaches don't get. You know, your receivers coach doesn't get that necessarily. Maybe, but if a guy sets the goal of, if a guy says, 
you know, say, say, say I'm trying to think of a, 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 of a quality receiver in the NFL there and there's a million of, them. but let's, let's just say you go with, um, um, I, I don't want to use this. I don't like that kid. <laughs> Almost said, trying, trying to think of what I really like. Um, let's go with Julian Edelman. Okay. I know Julian. And, 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 and so, uh, let's say Julian, if you're the strength coach, the strength, if he sets a goal of, I want to get a hundred receptions this year, 1500 yards, if that's a public thing, him and his receivers coach, if he gets that, aren't going to celebrate that as a big victory. Not he might, his receivers coach isn't. And publicly, you're kind of viewed as maybe that's a good goal, maybe it's selfish because he said that early on. I want 100 catches this year. But if he celebrates, I want to be able to bench press 225 pounds, uh, pounds 17 times, and he gets that, that's viewed as a great thing with him and his strength coach. And that's the only guy that really gets to view things like that because they know how hard he worked to get there. He did the same thing for the catches. That's viewed as somewhat selfish. But getting to a level in that strength room, in that weight room, is never viewed as selfish. It's only viewed as crazy hard work and dedication. It's weird how it is, but that is the way it is. So strength coaches don't get the glory that some give, uh, some coaches get, an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator in the game of football. But they get all those little celebrations and victories uh, along the way in that process. Their process is more fulfilling at that moment than a coach's is. But at the end, I think they share the same things. I kind of pause there because now I'm trying to process that. And that's, that's interesting because even with the strength coach's job, if somebody can squat 600 pounds, well, that's great. Does that help them then on the field? And if 600 is good, well, what about 650? That's why I kind of love right. that, that, that velocity-based um, training when it comes to that too, because that, you know, that, that quick explosive speed is what really matters. But that's yeah. uh, that's a fantastic point, Coach. Um, my question is this. So, and then specific with football. So if punting, and you've mentioned this before, right? If punting never existed, the person that came out and punted, like that would be the freak, right? Like that would be the person that, that gives <laughs> right. away that. How is it that you, um, throughout your process, when the data backs up that punting is a bad idea, that, you know, the difference between being at the 40-yard line as opposed to 10, the 92% to 77% that, you, that you've mentioned, I'll put that stats on there for people to see. But when it goes through a tough time when it's not working out, um, when it is difficult, when you haven't got the first down, and then the naysayers, I'm, I'm sure they're there just ready to pounce. I could be wrong. I mean, you've had a lot of success. No, you're right. No, you're right. <laughs> um, what does that process and how does that mental um, process like work for you then? Uh, you, know, you, you know, in society today, going back, people are always looking for reasons to pounce, in my opinion. Right. You know, whether it's a CEO making a bad decision or whether it's a coach making a bad decision or whatever it is, they're always looking for a reason to pounce, it seems like. And, you know, be, having a biology background, too, that, you know, you learn that science is fulfilled, uh, science is accepted over a wide sample size of things happening. You know, like, for instance, if I've got the flu right now and I happen to drink a Pepsi and let's say the flu's ending and I could be like, I drank that Pepsi and the flu went away. Well, that was just a random thing that happened coincidentally. Now, if, if I have 400,000 people do that, then all of a sudden it's accepted as a possibility and we'll test it and experiment, you know, that kind of thing. The same thing happens with the punting part. 
you know, it's not always going to look like it works. It's not always, we're not going to convert every fourth down we ever try. And if we don't, people will jump on it and go, if you would have punted right there, you might've won, but that caused you to lose. And so it's interesting because we've had obviously tons of success in the history of the school that had never been past the final four. I'd only been there twice since I got here. Since I've been coaching for 18 years, we'd only been to the final four twice, never passed. Since I've been coaching in 18 years, we've been to 15 out of 18 final fours and won nine of them. And, but one guy did an article out of California a couple of years ago. And I don't know where, you know, I think it was the, 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 after the Romer article and talking about fourth down and he was trying to, he was on the other side of it. He picked out a game in the playoffs where we didn't punt and the other team went and scored because we were on our own like 20 yard line. We ended up losing the game by seven points. And he tried to prove that that caused us to lose. And he tried to pounce on it. And it, it became a kind of a national article. And, and I was like, this is, you know, you took one sample size. But overall, it's helped us win a lot. You're going to find a game where it might have hurt us. But are you really looking? And of course, then I went back into that game and found out on two of our touchdowns that we did score to be within seven of losing, they, two of them were fourth downs on our own that we didn't make and ended up driving down and scoring that we would have normally punted. So we actually had two situations we normally would have punted that we scored on and only one that we sh- would have normally punted that they scored on us. And so, but he didn't bring that one up. And I, did, I wouldn't even think about it at the time. But what, you know, it's frustrating because people tend to, when they want to prove a point, you really do try to eliminate all the things that would disprove your point and focus on the ones that do. And that's what I think people would do and they're ready to pounce on and they've got a different agenda in mind and, and all those kinds of things. It's frustrating. And, and I used to really be bothered by it. But then again, I asked myself the same question I ask when I'm going to get emotional or make a decision. I go, am I going to care about this guy in a week? And the answer is no, I couldn't care any less. Do I think I'm doing the right thing? And you mentioned looking in the mirror a while ago, earlier. The, the only thing I want to be able to do is look myself in the mirror, really look in the mirror. You look in the mirror when you brush your teeth every day. And I think about, you know, did I do everything I could to help our kids be successful? I need to be able to answer yes to that. And I'm committed to what I'm doing. There is no part of me that, punt, that doesn't punt to get attention. As a matter of fact, it would be far easier if I never had. The crap I had to go through on the front end of this was terrible and I thought might put me out of coaching altogether. And, and my AD at that time even told me, he's like, I'm not going to support you if this doesn't work. Because I went to him and told him what I was going to do. He said, I'm not going to support you if it doesn't work. Well, you're throwing your whole career and your family and we're going to have to move and not have a job. But I, was, I really believed I was right and committed to it. So, you know, it's frustrating, but I look and go, you know, I look myself in the mirror and go, am I giving our kids the best chance to win? Yes. Do I think this is the right thing? And can I back it up? Do I have reasons? Because I'm not going to do anything just because I feel like it. I, I wore the socks. I, I, I now have learned to have a reason for every single thing you do. And I mean, I literally have the socks I have on today. I thought about it before I put them on. Why did I put these on? Because I want to have a reason for everything. I did this podcast with you. It's not, you know, people think manipulation is a bad word. I'm not manipulating you, but, but, but I did think this might help me. I liked the thought of your book. I did a little research on you. Puke and rally. It's awesome. What do you do? You freaking out there, right? You puke and you rally. You actually feel better after you puke and you're able to rally. Sure. And, but I was hoping to get something out of this, but, but 
I think you, you look at it and you just decide, do you have a reason for it? Are you committed to it? And are you doing what's right? It comes down to what's right and wrong. You know, and I get that it gets muddled and I'm fixing it or another where you don't tell me to shut up. I get where it's muddled. I think everybody in politics went to Washington, D.C., probably at one point or the other wanting to help America. And then they had to give away a little bit because they're like, gosh, I really feel like, you know, we don't need um, we don't need chicken houses within two miles of a school because it gets in the groundwater and it might, the chemicals and stuff might hurt them. My goal is to get them away because I've seen so many kids have cancer at our school. I want to get that out. Well, they get up there and they want to do that. They're about to vote on it. And they go, the only way we're voting this in is if you also say that, you know, we're going to be, that we're going to extend, extend the length of time that you can have an abortion. And they're really against that. But the only way they can accomplish what they want is against that. Well, then what do people do? They want to pounce and go, you voted for a bill that lengthened the amount of time you could. And they end up in a place where they never thought they would be because they were trying to do something good. They just got to be able to do the three things. Do I really believe in this? Am I committed to it? And next week, am I going to be glad I did this? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and I think that's, that's how I get through even these things like you're talking about when people pounce on that and, and do that. You're frustrated for a minute. And now I just take myself out of it and go, am I even going to care in a week? Yeah. And that's the good thing is I've learned to embrace it a little bit. Ask yourself, is this guy honest? Every time somebody points out something to me now, like if you go coach, I studied everything you're doing with kids. I called 97 kids and this and that. And you I would ask myself the question, okay, let's relook at this. Maybe times have changed. Maybe things have changed. Are you, are you, still, are you still right? Has the situation changed? Have rules changed? Or the way you deal with kids changed? Has that changed? So I'll still ask myself the question because I think you have a chance to grow from that. And I think that might be, I'm not bragging on myself because I'm an idiot and don't do a lot of things good. But I have reached a level where I think I'm able to embrace those things, ask myself those questions and see if they have any merit to when somebody's proven me wrong or trying to prove me wrong. And then you really, on the other side, sometimes you might get lucky and God, they're right. I need to change something. But sometimes you might even solidify your argument even more and feel more confident about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Coach, one of my favorite uh, Super Bowl calls outside of the Philly special, which I still thought is the best ever, um, but was ambush when the Saints Onside kicked it, got it to start the second half. And do you think, I mean, could this be successful at the, at the pro level? And if so, what would be that hinge moment? Or is it just going to have to be that, that renegade that just puts it into play? What, what would it take for it to be successful? Yeah. Number one, I think it would be, I think it could be successful. I think numbers have shown it could be successful. Now, that's in the world of the fourth downs and stuff like that. And teams are doing more of it now. You know, they're listening to analytics a little more and a little more. Um, in the world of onside kicks, the way that they kick them in the NFL, for the most part, they shouldn't do them. Everybody's like, well, they've changed the rules and guys can't have a run at it. It's not that. It's the way they're kicking the kicks. They've come up with a foolproof way. Put your guys on the front. Let them block everybody. Let one guy in the back catch it. Right. And – well, that's if you kick in the air. We, when teams do that to us, we start kicking the ball on the ground, helicopter style. You know, Dallas Cowboys caught it watermelon. They got it from us. And the guy watched a YouTube video. And I already heard through the grapevine, you know, behind the scenes. They named it. You know, nobody wants to say he got that from a high school coach. I, I don't even care. But they kept it on the ground. 
And now the guy that's usually got to go out and be blocking, he's got to decide, A, I've got to move out of the way. Now the guy might come through. B, should I try to field this ball? Coach didn't tell me I need to field the ball. I'm, not, I'm, I'm made to block, not field that ball. And they need to kick them different ways, and it would be more successful. Our rate is so much higher. People, Well, it's like you got high school guys. I've also got high school guys going down trying to recover it, not just trying to be the ones to catch. You know, the level of ability didn't change. You know, you've got NFL guys going to gather, you know, going to get the kickoff too. And so, but you're just going bounce, bounce. Anybody can catch the hop. Change the way you're doing it. Change the kick. Change the things. Coach it up a little better. If these guys are coming to block, I'm going to kick it right at them and keep it on the ground where they've got to either get out of the way. Now they'll miss the block and my guy can dive on it. Or they're going to try to field it and they're not used to doing that. And it's going a little faster at that moment than it is 10 yards back and make it harder on them. So, I think the way they're doing it, yes, it could be much more successful. I wouldn't do it every time like I do it now probably at that level because we kick off from different yard lines. If I miss it, they're going to get it on their own 47 on average. In the NFL, they would get it on the other team's end of the field, which changes the dynamics a little bit. What's it going to take to do it? It, it, You know, I think it'll be a gradual thing like the not not punting has been. The fourth down thing – you know, Bill Belichick really started this back when he played the Indianapolis Colts and went for it on fourth down and didn't make it. Peyton Manning goes down and scores and beats them, and everybody goes crazy the, day, the next day. It was a Sunday night game, and it's the NFL game, and, it's, of course, it's Bill Belichick, and it's Peyton Manning, and it's Tom Brady. Yep. And what changed everything for fourth down analytics, and even as it's progressed tremendously, and I don't want it to because I've got an advantage over everybody down. Now, I don't, I don't want it to get that way, but – it's progressed because the analytics people came out and defended it and finally got a little bit of a voice and nobody was listening to them before that. But the media went to people to the media went to these analytics people because they knew they were all over the place, but nobody ever listened to them. They went to him to condemn him. And instead they defended him. And some coaches are like, wait, a if Bill Belichick's doing it, there must be something to it. And B these analytics people that all they do study numbers and aren't, aren't emotionally biased. Right. are saying he should have done it too. That's what it's going to take in the world of onside kicks. The crappy way they're doing it, the numbers, they're only 4% in the last two years, the recovery rate. You should never do anything if it's only 4%, but until you have to. But but it's going to take somebody changing the way they're doing it, have a little more success, and then it'll be a gradual try it again. It was actually becoming uh, non-taboo for people to do it after Peyton did it in the Super Bowl. You would see a handful of surprise onsides in the NFL at that point. The recovery rate went down. A couple guys got chastised on open media on a Sunday night game for doing it, and it didn't work, and the other team scores, they lose the game. And instead of going, you lost the game because you called some dumb defenses and offenses, you lost the game because you tried to onside kick it in the third quarter, and they went and scored. Right. That's why you lost the game. As soon as they pointed that out, then people aren't going to do it anymore. Coach, what about going forward on fourth down then? What would it, what would it take for, uh, you know, at the NFL? Well, it's, you know, it's slowly, gradually getting there. What it would take is it's a different sport. Baseball listens to analytics more than anybody. Yeah. Basketball and hockey are, are vastly more improved in that area than they've ever been. But the difference is this. If I said, you know, who's the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys – or the New England Patriots, and can you pick him out of a lineup? You you probably could. Yeah. If I said pick out the 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 manager of the Texas Rangers, 
and of the Boston Bruins, you probably have no idea and can't pick them out. You know, the hardcore in that area can. Well, I say all that to say this. The more you're a face of the program, and I, and I can attest to this, the harder it is to get chastised by the media and the more you will get chastised if you make a bad decision. It's a little easier for those guys to make analytics decisions because they're not the face of the program. Everybody knows the players in those sports. In football, they know the star player and the coach. Yep. And so it's easier for him to get – and also, football coaches probably have bigger egos than anybody, and I'm one of them. I'm, an, I'm a coach, that, so I can say that. And, and they don't – I think football coaches are afraid that if we start making more decisions based on analytics and they think it's less on just great coaching, the, they are, they're afraid people think, well, anybody could do it. I mean, all we got to do is look at the numbers to make these decisions, which isn't true. There's so much teaching and, and relationships and all that. But I think they're afraid that they'll lose their ability to be the man to get those great jobs making all that money because anybody can do it if you're just using analytics. And because they're the face, it's harder to get there than it is for baseball or hockey or basketball. How much is it when it comes to mindset on this is how we're going to play? Because, I mean, Ed, Ed Orgeron was very uh, outspoken saying, you know, we're, we're going to be going for it this year. You know, when you have that mindset, it's an aggressive mindset, right? No matter what we're going for, we're going to be doing onside kicks. This is how we play. Um, I mean, don't you think the players respond more to that aggressive mindset than, you know, uh, playing just not to make mistakes or just being able to, you know, um, punt the ball or, you know, play the, the conventional style? Do you think a lot of it? Yeah, that's, the, that's a great point. If you could quarantine – like, if, like, you know, remember the NBA played in the bubble last year, supposed, you know, this bubble. Well, it wasn't a complete bubble because the media got to see it all. But if the NFL played in a complete bubble, cut off from fans, media, and just the players, number one, if a coach went in and said, we're going to do this, this, and this, the players are almost – there will be a few old school guys. 85% of them are going to be all in and think it's the best thing ever. You're right. If it's just players, they're in. They love it. The – Coaches would be far more in if you literally – there were no TV, no social media, nobody could go to the games. You'd be amazed at how the game would change. But those outside influences, that changes everything. I mean, the influence that society, that fans, that media, social media, regular media have on the game of football are unbelievable, in my opinion, on how the game would be played differently if there were none of that. Now, you kid, the game can't exist because you have to have that for the finances – but it would be played vastly different. You would see, I think punting would go down 50% easily if that were the case, maybe and so, more. And so this, this ultimately just comes down to what other people think. I mean, I hate to say it, but yes. And, and because, because think about this. If let's say me and you were coaching a game against each other, you're the, what city are you in? Well, I'm in Indianapolis. Okay, uh, let's say you're the Colts guy. Let's say I'm a Titans coach. And we go at it, and you decide in the first quarter it's fourth and one. And by all analytics, you should go for it on fourth and one in the NFL almost exclusively. Almost 100% of the time you should go for it. And you do, and you lose the game. And you've had a four and four season so far, and they come back. Everybody's like, God, fourth and one. They're all going to come and say, fourth and one, you went for it, didn't make it. That's what lost the game. You literally might not have a job Monday, right. okay? And that, the risk aversion to losing your job, and I've asked coaches this specifically, 
the risk aversion to losing your job is a bigger factor than that would be the highest percentage chance for us to win at that moment. And not only for themselves, I'll give them credit. I go, so, oh, so you're afraid to lose your $7 million a year job. Well, not me. I'll be fine. I've made, you know, 50 million in the last 10 years, but all my assistants haven't necessarily made that much. And some of them will be struggling a little bit. So it does go deeper than that. But I would say that risk aversion to losing your job and dealing with the media and dealing with the owner that might think differently too, it, it plays a bigger factor than actually, than, than actually making a decision that helps win the game. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And that's just where we are. What about with, uh, you know, Coach Parcells? I mean, he said, you know, if they understand what wins, you have to understand what loses. What do you think loses out there at the highest level? I, you know, that's sort of a negative attitude. Who am I to argue with Bill Parcells? I mean, I've won on my level, but I've built my whole team. Or Everybody's like, well, you know, what are you doing? People say, well, you must just have naturally better players or you must be doing this or that or whatever, whatever, whatever. The real life thing is this. I decided quick look at it. I'll, I'll look at some things that cause us deficiencies, but I've decided in life, you want to be successful, look around and see what everybody else is doing, the common themes that are winning and losing games, that are winning the games most. So if you said, what did you build your team around? Our whole philosophy on offense and defense are built around these things. The number one thing that wins games in football or who has more plays over 20 yards in a game, mm-hmm. 81% of all games, forget names on the board, whatever, 81%. If you just go, who had more? Well, they had five, they had four. 81% of the time, they win the game, period. Forget turnovers, forget anything else. That's number one. Number two is turnovers. Well, everybody's working on not turning the ball over. So that's a wash because you're not going to be any better than anybody else. But I can design an offense that has more 20-yard plays or is more designed to get more 20 yards. The third thing is, is sacks. 77% of all games are won by who has the most quarterback sacks. What do I tell my guys to do? Freaking, if it's any kind of passing down, blitz, blitz, blitz. Because if we get a sack. So then I went and looked and measured it on our own thing. We score a touchdown almost – I mean, I'm, this is going to sound stupid because the, the average is between 25 and 33% college and, and, and high school. We score a touchdown 90% of the time, a touchdown, if we don't have a sack on a drive. Okay, think about that for a minute. If we have a sack, the number goes down to 8% of the drives. Wow. So as good as we are on offense, a sack is a drive killer. People say it. So go get sacks, reduce amount of sacks. So we've built our team on philosophy defensively on that. We're going to blitz, come at you from 14. Because if we get a sack, your chances on scoring in that drive have cut down astronomically. Then you start, then I made, then I look, and I've got my own analytics for me. If we recover an onside kick, period, we are, I'm going to tell you the exact number, so I'm not lying to you. But we, but, but what I'm saying is we built on things that win games, and he's you're talking one, about 136 and five when getting onside kick, coach. That's very good. Very good. I was looking up to make sure I'm right. 59 yep, and one when getting 59 two. 59 and one. I forgot I'd sent you that. Um, no, so, no, I looked that up, coach. Oh, um, but, but what I'm saying is, I decided to look at things that win games. Yeah. And, 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 and some people look at what loses. Then you become that, you become that, they'll be like, well, field position, you know, that, that caused them to lose. They just had bad field position, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. And, and I decided to look at what wins and then find certain things that I thought fit us that help us win. Like I looked and our 20 yard plays we were giving up simply occurred by the way we do our defense when the quarterback or the running back got outside our edge guy. Well over half our 20 yard plays for seasons we're just, so what do we preach the next year when I found that out? Now, one of our 10 
is we set the edge. We coach it. We preach it. We coach it on what to do when the guy does this, not letting you set the edge. Our guy blocks down. We'll just turn. Hell, we'll turn and sprint to the sideline. We ain't getting outside the edge anymore because that's where our, we get beat at, 20-yard plays. So, but, but some coaches don't. They go exactly opposite, and they go, what loses game? Well, turnovers lose games. Well, what you get into is this when you look at what loses. Well, we're just not going to throw it as much. We're just going to hand it off more. When in doubt, we're going to hand it off. Third and two, we're going to hand it off. When in studies show that you have to throw the ball these days to beat other teams because the rules are such that it's more efficient and more beneficial. And I think if you look at what loses, like Coach Parcells talks about, I think you end up somewhere you didn't want to be. Mm. But if you look at winning, you end up in a pretty good place. You end up what wins. So yeah, that's my thoughts awesome. on that. No, it's awesome, Coach. Uh, two more questions for you. Number one, uh, one of the stats show, and this is what draws my ire, and I kind of mentioned that, but icing the kicker, it, it doesn't work. But they still do it. And I think it's up to, I think it's up to a detriment because it's actually giving the kicker more time. You know, it allows them to come out there, and even if it's a field, to kind of set. And But it doesn't work. Uh, what's it going to take to get that across that, look, the best way to do it is just don't call a timeout, just let them play it. It's going to, honestly, what it would take for all the stuff you've asked about at Ice and the Kickers, one of them, is for the owner to go down and go, look, there's nothing you can do on the field that's going to determine whether I keep you or not. Make the best analytical proven decision and quit basing it on what you think I'd want you to do or the fans or the media. Don't worry about that. The only person you got to worry about is me. Mm-hmm. And if you'll make the best decisions, you've got a far better chance of staying here longer than if you make dumb decisions because you think that looks good or whatever. So part of it's the risk aversion of the job. Part of it is I just is they want to look like – I think I do think this. Coaches want to look like sometimes I'm doing something directly to affect this game. And they think that timeout, because what's everybody doing? Everybody stopped. Everybody on TV stopped. They're looking at the field goal kicker. He's about to kick it. Timeout. Everybody for a moment, oh, Coach Barcells calls a timeout. And they hear his name on TV. And at that moment, it looks like he literally decided whether that game was going to continue or not continue. That's the male ego in us. So I think there's part of both of that. And uh, until until somebody comes out and said, I'm going to support you as long as you are giving us the best chance to win based on numbers, we'll always be where we are. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's an action bias, right? Because doing something right. has to be better than doing nothing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Coach, one last question. I really appreciate your time. And uh, I mean, and this could go for hours, man. Thank you so much. And uh, But what questions should I be asking, Coach, that that I'm not asking? Uh, uh, you know, I, I, as far as for your listeners and stuff, um, you might, you might say people like to hear if, if they'll give an honest answer, you know, why, why are you still in coaching? You know, the average longevity of a coach is like 4.3 years or something I read somewhere and at all levels. And, and I mean, that doesn't, you know, you got coaches there. Why, why do you still coach? And it might be because I, I don't know what else I'd do. It might be. But if they would give a meaningful answer, I think people would like to hear that sometimes. I like to hear why people are still doing stuff. You know, when you read that 80% of the people hate their jobs, you know, in the world, um, then, then to me it's meaningful and why they still do it. I, I think another thing might be, and I'm just, I'm just thinking about things I'd be interested in, so I might be biased because I am a coach. Um, if you could go back and change 
you know, one major philosophy from when you started to now, you know, what would it be? And another one would be like, what's been the greatest change in your philosophy personally from the start to the finish, you know, and, and that shows what you learn. What's, you that, know, what what's you learn. that one been for you, coach? Um, to allow, it's an easy one for me, to allow more time, as much as I think society has turned into the, like the pussification of America, to allow more time for the coaches and the kids to enjoy those good moments, you know, and, 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 and I don't mean, I don't mean false moments, but I mean, really meaningful moments, good moments, things they work hard for that strength coach that I'm telling you gets it a lot to get more of those, you know, knock it out, you know, cause like we had a kid this year and I wouldn't have done this 25 years ago. I had a kid this year. I wouldn't have given you a 10 cents for the kid. I didn't think the kid could start. People got hurt. Da, 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 da. He was soft. He turned into an integral part of our offensive line. And I didn't, if you'd have told me he was going to start at the beginning of the year, I'd have said we might not win a game. I thought he was that bad. It's funny how you put kids in situations. People react way differently in that moment than you would ever believe they would. Cause nobody ever knows how somebody's going to be. And the kid just fought and scrapped and learned and fought and scrapped and learned I couldn't be more proud. So we had one big game, and he's against a kid that's going in, the, that's going to sign and go in the SEC, go play. And this kid ain't ever going to play any level of college ball, and he's not very good, but he's a fighter. And I wanted him to enjoy that moment. So after the game, like Max, I didn't think you had any chance of blocking that guy any, and you blocked him almost every play. And I want him to enjoy that moment. And I never would have done that until the end of the season, but I wish I would have given everybody more moments if they were truly meaningful in the season, because what happened? Everybody appreciates it. Now that kid will be glad in what he's done, proud of himself. He'll go fight for the death for me now. And he'll fight for the death for his teammates because they all recognize it too. And, and, and what it take? It took another three minutes at my post-game speech. Was it worth it? Freak, yeah, it was worth it. I wish I had done more of those moments along the way. But used to, it was like, get back and grind, get back and grind. Now, the last three years especially, every Monday when we watch film, all my coaches have to get four great things. They don't have to be great plays, but great things that that kid did. And we all, our entire team watches those four plays. And I think it makes them appreciate it more. I mean, you'll see a right guard pulling and kicking out on a trap, and his head's finally on the right side, like it's supposed to be. And I want the other kids to see that because our receivers, you know, they're just wanting to catch touchdowns. Well, heck, what if they have to watch him go pound the guy every play and they see that? Maybe they'll appreciate him more. He's getting highlighted. Now you've imprinted it on his brain. If you read Made to Stick, you've imprinted it on that kid's brain that he'll do it right next time because now he didn't just – even if he got lucky and just did it right that time finally and he's been doing it wrong, that might be what caused it to stick in his head and he does it right. He loved that so much in his brain. It's like, what did I do? Okay, got to do that every time. And those moments I wish I'd have got the kids to enjoy because I think they make the kids better, more satisfied. They get to feel a real self-esteem like we talked about to tie it back in. And there's no way it doesn't help our team in the big picture. It's awesome, Coach. Number one source of confidence, how I know I can do something because I've, I've done it before. Yep. Hey, Coach, where, um, thanks so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Where, where would you like people to, to follow you and learn more about you? 
Um, uh, on Twitter, I'm a big Twitter guy. Uh, like that at it's at Coach Kelly with an E Y one. I'll put the link. And on then, there. Yep. okay. And then on Instagram, I'm the same thing. I do a lot of motivational stuff, and then I comment on football games. Nice. Um, and uh, I'm I'm now delving into the stock market, and done, I, see I that. say now now delving into that. I found uh a, something. I'm I'm actually making some money. If you're me, you've got to find a way to get rich in life. I'm not going to get rich, but I've not found a way. Or if you're out there and you're watching this and you can find a way for me and you to make money using what I've done. And I make more money speaking now than, than I do anything else. But I would like to do something that's helpful to people, you know, make some money. I, I give away more money than I make now. But I, I, I like doing that. If you can help me do that, you know, contact me on Twitter. I've got a, co- a, a website. Uh, it's uh, Coach Kevin Kelly with an EY.com. And even people can contact me through there. But you know, everybody wants to make money so you can do with your family. I make money so I can also give. I've actually got a center for a children's home. I just met with a lady today. I'm going to go out and try to raise money for them. But um, I also want to help other people make money, be successful. And and because uh, money doesn't solve your problems, doesn't make you happy, but it sure as heck doesn't hurt any. And if you can leave your kids something and be make enough money to donate to other people. I always said if I won the lottery last night, I played it once in the past three years. Last night, I bought five tickets. If I win that, you know, I'm going to give half my money away immediately, probably, because I don't need all that money. And and the other and part of it, I'm going to take in a few million. I'm going to go live in Vegas for about a month and walk in every day and go, everybody root for me because I'm playing today for this charity, whatever I play. And if I win, it's all going to them. Then you're all of a sudden having some fun, getting people excited and doing something nice for people, too. I'm going to do some crazy stuff that brings more attention to fundraising because we've got a lot of people that need help in the world, a lot of things that need help and and, you know, and, and a lot of people want to help. They just never asked to help. So, you know, all those things, uh, just kind of things for me. And if I can help you accomplish something, I'm in. And if I can help you raise money for something, I'm in. If I can help me and you make money, I'm in. That's awesome, Coach. Thanks so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, best of luck. I'm honored to, honored for you to have me on. Best of luck at everything. I, I, I uh, uh, enjoyed my research on you and seeing what you're trying to do and what you are doing and stuff like that. And, We need more people that are, you know, just trying to bring out the best in people and trying to highlight positive things in the world. Thanks, Coach. Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.